Thank you for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. We hope you like this message and that it has an impact on your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more. I once heard that um, laughing actually prepares your brain to learn. Has anybody ever heard that before? Yeah. And when you laugh, it gets your, it gets your brain, gets the, the, the brain firing in a way that opens yourself up to learn. So before we get into the Word, before we seek to learn from the Holy Spirit today, uh, I just want to help you prepare for that. So I'm going to tell you a joke. And if you laugh, you'll learn a lot today. This is not my way of like forcing you to laugh at my cheesy dad jokes like I do my kids. But if you don't laugh, then you probably won't learn anything. So you might as well laugh. Um, here's the joke. Uh, what, is, what is a DJ's favorite sauce? What is a DJ's favorite sauce? You ready for the answer? Marinara. Those of you that laughed, you're welcome. You will learn today. Those of you that didn't, we will have an altar call. You can repent after service. Uh, this morning, it's good to, good to be with you. Like Pastor Angel said, we haven't had a chance to, to properly celebrate you. Uh, over the last couple of weeks and, and really the last month, in fact, we've had uh, giving campaigns, multiple different giving campaigns, one for the Short Creek Missions team, uh, one for the last two weeks for Cape Coral. Cape Coral, Florida, that was hit by uh, Hurricane Ian and, and a personal connection that we have with the church down there and hundreds of thousands of people displaced without power. And, uh, and so we, as a church, said, let's, let's come together, let's, let's raise some funds and, uh, and see what we can do just to, to, to help alleviate some of that, to, to be a blessing to those who need it in a desperate time of need. And over the last month between Short Creek and uh, Cape Coral, we have raised over $15,000, close to $20,000 in both of those. And so I think that just, you guys deserve to give yourselves a hand. We, we say it all the time. One of the values that we have here at Dream City is generosity. That we will invest into his kingdom with our time, our talent, and our treasure. And, uh, and you guys have done that above and beyond. And so we celebrate you today and just say thank you for that and, and believe that you know, our, our reward is not in this earth, but, but one day our rewards will be in heaven for those things that we do here. Amen? Yes. Amen. Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to be today. And Pastor Kevin kind of alluded to that earlier as he was transitioning. And in, in the beginning of, of chapter 18, for those of you that haven't read it, it was yesterday's chronological reading plan. We've been reading through the Bible chronologically together this year. If you haven't read it, we're going to cover some of chapter 18 today, but not all of it. So if you haven't quite read yesterday's, make sure that you still go back and, and read yesterday's reading. But in the beginning of the chapter, Jesus is asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And like Kevin said, he, he asked for a child and he brought a child and, and put a child on his lap. And, and as we read that, we read that with our eyes. We don't read that with the cultural and social understanding that they had in that day. But, but I'm not going to get into that today because that was a very culturally and socially for that day. It was, it was quite a statement that Jesus was making. And having a child come, a child who was the lowest, a child who had no voice, who had no say. I think we give kids a little bit too much say these days at the grocery store and otherwise. And uh, we, we, 
We can give them too much power and authority. But in those days, the, the children were the lowest of the low. And so for him to call a child unto him would have been something that was unthinkable, especially when asked the question, who is the greatest? But in our mind, we read that and it's like, why a kid? As I think about that, like I think, okay, you know, it had to have been a kid under the age of four. Because at the age of five, they get into kindergarten and then they just start turning into little blessings from Jesus, <laughs> right? Like at four, they're still innocent enough. About the time they get into kindergarten, they start reminding you of all of the things. Have you ever had a kid remind you of something? Remind you of something that you said three weeks ago? Like they can't remember their alphabet at this point in life, but they remember that three Thursdays ago, you said you were going to take them for ice cream. And if you haven't done that yet, they are very quick to remind you. And then they get older and then they just remember, remember more stuff. They're, they're like sponges. Everything that you say, and even if you don't have kids, you have nieces and you have nephews, you work in the kids ministry, you know, kids are sponges. They get a little bit older and they can't remember to flush the toilet, but they remember that three Christmases ago, one of their siblings got one more present than the rest of them. And they're quick to remind you of all of these things. I saw somebody tweeted this week and said, I asked my five-year-old what she wanted for dinner. And she responded with, not a burned quesadilla. <laughs> because in the summer of 2019, I overcooked one side of her quesadilla. Three years ago, you burned my quesadilla. So what do you want for lunch today? And the response is, well, I know what I don't want. I don't want you to burn my quesadilla. And as we get older, we, we, don't, we don't stop remembering. We continue to remember, but the only thing that changes is we don't just remember, but we hold on to. And it's easy for us, the older we get, to continue to hold on to hurtful things people have said, hurtful things that people have done, painful things experiences, times that we have failed, times that we have messed up, and we, we go through life as fallen people living in a fallen world, surrounded by pain, being hurt, it seems like, around every corner at times. And what we can tend to do is we can tend to, to remember these, to pick these hurts up, these pains up, carry them with us. And the problem is when we carry them with us, we allow them to turn into grudges. We can hold on to grudges. How many of you ever held a grudge? All of you holy and righteous people not raising your hands like you haven't held on to a grudge before. Come on. How many of you have held on to a grudge? Okay, here's where it's going to get real. How many of you have ever held on to a grudge for more than 10 years? Okay, a bunch of sinners. Good. I love it. More than 20 years? Thank you for your honesty, yeah. your transparency. 30 years? Got a couple. I'm not going to continue. I think if we were, we were honest, we would look and we look around the room and like, yeah, I've held a grudge. I've held grudges for a long time. I've held grudges that I shouldn't have held. I've, I've held grudges that looking back on them were so ridiculous. You look back and it's like, yeah, you know, there are things and there are real pains and there are real hurts and there are things that we carry. But then there are some things that just because we're in the habit of picking things up, we just pick them up and carry them with us as well. 
You ever been there where you look back and it's like, that was dumb. Like, I can't believe I let that get the best of me. This morning, I want us to, to look at, okay, well, if we recognize we're not supposed to carry those grudges, what's the, the antidote, antidote to, to holding on to grudges? What's the antidote to holding on to things in our lives? And the answer is found in Matthew chapter 18. The answer is forgiveness. To live a life of forgiveness, walking in forgiveness and being forgiven people who forgive people. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus, he, he continues to teach. And verse 21 is where we're going to begin our reading today. Peter comes, and I love Peter, because Peter, Peter, like, he's very passionate. He doesn't always think before he speaks, but he's very passionate. Everything he does is with passion. Cuts off the guard's ear. Why? Because he's full of passion. Jesus is like, I'm going to go to the cross. And Peter's like, over my dead body. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because he's passionate. Everything that he does, everything that he says. Verse 21, the Bible says that that Peter comes to him. And Peter asks this question, Lord, how, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Let's pause right there because it's not like Peter's just making up a number. He's not just pulling a number out of a hat. Jesus, do you want me to forgive somebody seven times? Why seven? What's what's the significance of the number seven? In those days, there was a a teaching that you were you were obligated to require to to forgive somebody three times and after that no more. Why three times? And the the teachers in that day got this from Amos chapter one and Amos chapter two, where God to Israel's enemy says, I will forgive you once, I will forgive you twice, I will forgive you three times. After that, I'm going to destroy you. And so the thought in that day was no man should be obligated to forgive more than God does. And so if God says he'll forgive three times, then we as men should forgive three times as well. So when Peter says, God, Jesus, do you want me to forgive seven times? Essentially what he's saying is, is not just double what's expected of me, but do you want me to go a little bit more than double? Do you see what I did there, Jesus? I'm not just going to forgive three times, and I'm not just going to double the number, but I'm going to go past that. I'm going to say seven times, Jesus. Are you so proud of me, Jesus, for, for being willing to forgive seven times? Is that how many times you want me to forgive? And Jesus's, Jesus's response is no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And then he tells them this parable, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything that he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Verse 31, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured 
until his he yeah until he had paid his entire debt. And verse thirty five is the gut punch of this verse. That's what your heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Lord, we thank you for your word today. God, I pray that that you would reveal to us exactly what you want to show, to show to us today, whatever you want to say to us today. God, I pray that you would have your way. Do what only you can do. Lord, I pray for revelation from your word that brings about transformation. Lord, we're not just after information. But God, today I pray that you would, you would refine us, that you would sand off some of those hard edges that as we leave this place, we would leave looking a little bit more like you. That we would be transformed into your image as ambassadors and representatives of you and of your kingdom. Lord, help us to, to go and be those people who have received forgiveness and then in turn can offer forgiveness as well. We love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. This morning as we talk about forgiveness, I want to answer three questions. Three questions that I think uh, we've asked at different points And I want to answer those questions in a way that frees us up, clears our minds, gives us a better understanding what forgiveness is, what it isn't, why we offer, and what happens if we don't forgive. If you're taking notes today, you can write these down. If you have the Dream City Omaha app, all of my my notes are in there, so you can go and you can take notes that way. But this morning, as we get into it, the first question that I want us to look at is this question, what does it mean? What does it mean to forgive somebody? I think one of the reasons why it's hard for us to forgive is because we really don't understand what it is. We don't have a proper definition for what forgiveness is. Let me tell you first what forgiveness is not. When somebody hurts you, when somebody does something, when you go through these painful experiences, it's easy for us to hold on to these things because in our minds we think that, well, if I forgive them, then that denies what happened. It's a, it's a sweeping under the rug. Forgiveness is not denial. Forgiveness is not sweeping something under the rug. Forgiveness is not excusing what's been done to you. It's not making excuses. It's not saying that it was right. Forgiveness is not saying it was okay what was done or what was said. Forgiveness is not you taking responsibility. Forgiveness, is, I, there's a saying, you know, forgive in what? Forget. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness doesn't require you to forget. There are people in my life that I have forgiven, and I've, I've released them, and I've canceled, and I've walked in that, but, but I haven't forgotten. I'm not going to let them as close as I did before because, because there are things that have been done, things that have been said. And listen, I, I forgive you, but that doesn't mean that I forget. Forgiveness is not allowing harmful behavior to continue. We have a a misunderstanding because at times we think, well, I'm not going to forgive them because this is what forgiveness is. No, none of those are what forgiveness is. We see what forgiveness is in the text today, in the, the parable that Jesus shared. The man fell down, begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay it all later. Then his master was filled with pity and he released him and forgave what? His debt. Forgiveness, forgiveness is simply, here's the definition. Forgiveness means to cancel a debt. That's all forgiveness is. It's you canceling a debt that is owed to you. Somebody's done something to hurt you, they owe you. What is forgiveness? 
It's the canceling of that debt. It's not denying that you hurt me. It's not excusing that you hurt me. It's not making excuses for why you hurt me. It's not sweeping something under the rug and acting like it's not there. It's not me taking responsibility for it. It's simply me saying, listen, for what you did, you don't owe me anything. The debt has been canceled. That's what true forgiveness looks like. That's what, that's what it means. It's simply a cancellation of debt. Okay, that we, can, we, can, we can get that. Second question, why should I forgive? I think this is where most of us typically tend to wrestle. Why should I forgive somebody? We don't want to forgive them. We need a new mindset, a new, a new attitude about forgiveness in order to, to properly walk in forgiveness. Peter had this old mindset. He had this old attitude, right? What was his question? How many times should I forgive? Should I forgive seven times? Should I forgive three times? Should I forgive six times? How about I go above and beyond? How about, how about seven times? Are you proud of me now? And Jesus' response is no. You've got to change your attitude. You've got to change your focus. You have to change your perspective and your mindset about what forgiveness is and why you should offer it. Peter was trying to put a number. He was trying to quantify. Lord, what does it look like? How many punches should I have on my forgiveness punch card that I hand out to everybody in my life? He wanted like a frequent offender card that he could just give people. And every time he forgave them, he would just punch one of their punches. And once they got to seven punches, he'd be like, your punch card is full. I'm not forgiving you anymore. And some of us, we, we can laugh and we can snicker at that. But some of us have a punch card that is much shorter than seven. Some of us have a punch card that is one. And I will forgive you once. Fool me once. Shame. Fool me twice. Shame. Fool me three times. I'm not going to do the George Bush. That's because, like, that's running through my head right now. There's a saying in Tennessee, right? Like, I, that, that's all I can think right now. I'm sorry. I've got to get back to my notes. We have, a, we have a punch card with one punch on it. And we'll offer forgiveness, but then the second time, it's like, no, I'm done. I'm not going to forgive that person. And here's the thing. It's not just, it's not just a continual forgiveness of separate occasions. Because here's the thing, Peter, if it was just seven times, that punch card would be done in a week. Because you forgive somebody today, and when you wake up tomorrow, guess what? Forgive them again. And the next day you wake up, and guess what? You got to forgive for the same thing, for the same thing. Sometimes it takes a year of forgiving somebody every single day. Sometimes it's one day, sometimes it's two days, sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's a month. But Peter was trying to quantify. He was trying to put a number on it. Why do we have to change our mindset? Because we have this mindset that, that when I offer forgiveness to somebody, that I'm doing them a favor and I'm letting them off the hook. Like I'm doing something for them. They've hurt me and now you want me to do something for them? Now understand, in a way you are. In a way, the cancellation of debt and forgiving them in a way you are. You're doing something for them. But we have to understand that forgiveness is a gift. And forgiveness is not a gift for the people that hurt us. Forgiveness is a gift for us. Forgiveness is something that has been given to us so that we can walk in the fullness of what God has for us. 
Forgiving is, is not a duty. Forgiving is meant to heal. It's not meant to obligate. So the only good answer to Peter's question, how many times should I forgive, is this, however many times it requires. How often should I forgive my brother, Jesus, as often as it takes for you to live in freedom from what was done to you? How often do I have to continue to to cancel this debt as often as it takes you to move forward? As often as it takes you to not be shackled to that painful experience or that person that has hurt you, as often as it takes you to, to get over those things that you can't shake. Don't ask how many times am I supposed to forgive, but instead ask how many times do I need to forgive? How many times do I need to forgive them? Because I'm not doing something for them. I'm doing something for me. When you have unforgiveness in your heart, what you are doing is you are shackling yourself to the person who has hurt you and the pains of the past. And when you walk around through life, these chains are there. And here's the thing. How do, how do I know if there's unforgiveness in my heart? If you're continuing to go back and focus on the other person you know there's unforgiveness in your heart. If you get on Facebook and you check in on them every now and then just to see if they've stumbled on their face yet, there might be unforgiveness in your heart. If you're keeping tabs on what they're doing because you're waiting for the day where you can revel in their misery, there might be unforgiveness in your heart. And why is that there? Because we're still shackled to them. We're still chained to them. And as we cancel that debt, and as we release them from what is owed, the same way that Jesus did for us, the Bible says that the wages of our sin is what? Death. There was a debt that you owed for the sin that you had committed. And Jesus came, and as a forgiveness of those sins, what did he do? He took upon himself the debt that you owed and the debt that I owed, and he paid it on the cross for us. And he said, the debt that you owed has now been canceled. As we have been forgiven, we need to cancel the debt of those that have hurt us as well. Why? So that I'm not shackled to them anymore. I'm not chained to them anymore. I'm not focusing on them anymore. When we, when we walk with unforgiveness, all we're doing is trying to move forward in life while looking behind. Because we're holding unforgiveness for things of the past. You can't walk forward in life looking through the rear view. Why should I forgive? Here's why you should forgive. Because unforgiveness keeps you stuck where you are. Forgiveness allows you to move forward. You can't move forward with unforgiveness. It's like quicksand. You can try and move, but when you try and move, what happens? You just sink deeper and deeper. You can look at everybody else marching forward in their lives and you're just stuck. Why? Because you're still chained to the past. The, the, the new mindset is this mindset of I'm not doing something for them. I'm doing something for me. I'm not offering forgiveness because they need it. I'm offering forgiveness because I need it. Are you following me today? It's not just something for the other person. It's something for us as well. We can't move forward with unforgiveness. Listen, there are times in my life where I've just, I've held on to things and I've tried to move forward. Remember when we first got married? We, we, we weren't married. We were, yeah, were we engaged? 
We were just dating. We were just having fun. <laughs> I remember when we were dating, she had driven my car one day. And in, 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 in my car, on my, on my shifter, I had my wristbands from high school baseball from my senior year. Now, like, I'm not a super sentimental kind of guy. I'm not a guy that holds on to all these little knickknacks and things, knickknack paddywhack, but, but my wristbands that I wore my senior year, I had put on my, on my shifter in my car. And she had driven my car one day and, and decided she was going to do something nice for me and clean my car. So she went through and she cleaned it and she looked at these old, dirty wristbands, took them, threw them in the trash, and I got the car back, and I said, hey, where's my wristband? She said, your wrist what? I said, my wristband. She's like, oh, I don't know. I said, well, what do you mean you don't know? You were the last person to drive. She's like, I cleaned out your car, and maybe they got thrown away in the process. I don't think this is going to work out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's one of those things that even, even to this day, we still joke about. And she's like, I didn't mean to. Get over it. And, and it's something that like, I legitimately like, like something, one of those stupid things that we hold on to. And it's like, yeah, but you threw them away. <laughs> like, it's not like they just got lost. You threw them into the garbage <laughs> as if they were trash. Like that's, <laughs> and my mom, listen, you know that nobody can keep a grudge like you, like a mom can. But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, ha ha, like that's, that's funny. But, but I've, I've grown up in the church. I've grown up around church. I've grown up around ministry. My dad's been a minister since the day I was born. And I've experienced pain that comes with that. I've experienced church hurt in ways that I wouldn't wish on anybody. And recently, we've been teaching a class on Wednesday nights on, on unity and reconciliation, specifically racial reconciliation. Now, Jesus in, in the gospel says, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Why? So that we as his legislative body on earth can legislate his word and his will on this earth and walk in a spirit of unity so that when we walk in unity, the world will know that he sent us. And so we've been talking about unity and we've been talking about how that we're, we've been reconciled. And part of the reconciliation work of, of Jesus was not just to reconcile us to the Father, but to reconcile us to each other as well. And I experienced this, this church hurt this pain and, and people that for a season of my life were the closest to me and to my family were the ones who were putting the knives in our backs, it felt like. I mean, you know, it's the people that are closest to you that can hurt you the most. Yeah. And so had experienced this pain and experienced this hurt and, and it had been probably a decade at this point. And, you know, God continued like, you need to forgive, you need to forgive. And it's like, no, they don't deserve it as if, again, it was for them. No, they don't deserve it. I'm not going to forgive. And it had been about 10 years at this point, and we were at, a, at an event here in town, at a church here in town, and, and there were some of, the, some of the people who were a part of this, this painful season in my life were at this event. 
And at one point I looked over and the angel was talking to them. And I hadn't spoken with them for about a decade. And as we, as we left and got in the car, Angel reminded me of this. She said that, that, that I looked at her and I said, I said, you can't talk to them because if you're talking to them, you're being disloyal to me. And now not only do I have my grudge and not only do I have my unforgiveness, but now I am projecting onto my wife my grudge and my unforgiveness and expecting her to carry the same burden that I'm carrying and be shackled to the same people that I'm shackled to. Like the, the ridiculousness of that statement, if you talk to them, you're being disloyal to me. To brothers and sisters in Christ, to members of God's family, to people who are on my team and trying to accomplish the same thing, to people who Jesus has redeemed and washed and cleansed and restored and given mission and purpose in our city. And I look at them and because of the grudge that I hold and the unforgiveness in my heart, I won't even talk to them and now I can't let my wife talk to them either. But that's what unforgiveness does to you. And here I was trying to, <laughs> trying to work in ministry. Here I was trying to preach the gospel. Here I was trying to tell people about a savior that came and forgave them and died for them and paid the price for their sin and offering them forgiveness. And I'm not willing as a pastor to offer forgiveness to somebody that hurt me. Here I am trying to move forward in God's plan and purpose for my life while looking in the rearview mirror and being stuck and trapped to painful events in the past. And if I would have gone up to them and, and said something, they probably would have had no idea. They've moved past that. They're beyond that. And that's the thing. When we, when we hold unforgiveness, we're not holding them back because they're just going to continue to live their lives. The only people that we are holding back with our unforgiveness is ourselves. Why should I forgive? Because God has a plan and you need to move forward into it rather than being stuck in the past. The third question is this, what if I don't forgive? Okay, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is canceling a debt. Why do I forgive? I forgive because unforgiveness keeps me stuck. God wants me to move forward, okay? But what happens if I don't forgive? I think another reason why we don't forgive is we don't grasp the consequences of what happens if we don't. We don't understand the, the fullness of that. Jesus in this parable, he, he tells this story of a man who's been forgiven and then he goes out and he demands payment from somebody that owes him a much smaller debt. When the king finds out about it, he's not happy. He, he sends the man to prison to be tortured until he's paid his debt. And in verse 35, Jesus really does a good job of driving the point home. He says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That's what he's going to do to you if you don't forgive, if you walk in unforgiveness. And this isn't one verse out of context because Jesus says things like this time and time again in the New Testament. If you look at Mark, Mark chapter 6, you want to put that verse up there. If you forgive those who sin against you, Jesus is speaking. This is red letters in your Bible. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly father will not forgive your sins. 
This is Jesus' words. Now, what, what, what do we do with this? <laughs> what do we do with this scripture? Because there are things that Jesus is saying, and then there are things that Jesus is not saying. It's important that we understand both. Jesus is, Jesus is not saying that you can earn forgiveness and you can earn salvation by forgiving people around you. He's not saying that if you stand before God on judgment day and say, well, but I forgave, that your sins will be forgiven. Because the Bible tells us that salvation comes by grace, through faith in Christ alone. That as we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ, confess him as Lord of our lives, our names are written into his book of life. And so we, we see the requirements of salvation are the grace extended and our faith in response to that. But then in the scripture, Jesus says things like, if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. Well, I've already been forgiven, so what forgiveness are you talking about? And I think what he's, what he's communicating and what he's really hitting at is the, the heart of the issue because unforgiveness is a sin. Yes. And you need to understand that. There is no sin that is greater. There is no sin that is less. All sin is sin. It's missing the mark that has been set for us. And so when we, when we walk in unforgiveness, what we are doing is we are allowing sin to fester in our hearts. And when sin festers in our hearts, what happens? It creates this, this break in communication between us and God. And so when Jesus told the disciples, pray ye in this way, Forgive us our trespasses as we what? Forgive those who trespass against us. What, I think what he's saying in the totality of the context of scripture is this, that if you walk with unforgiveness in your heart, how hypocritical is it of you to go to God and say, God, would you forgive my daily sins even though I'm unwilling to do that to the people in my life? So there is no daily washing and daily cleansing. Jesus told the disciples in John 13 that, that a man who, who, is, who is recently taken a bath doesn't need to wash his whole body. He just needs to wash his feet. It's that picture of when we come to Christ, our body has been washed. But when we go through life, there are those daily things that we just need, we just need to wash our feet every now and then. Lord, there's some things that I did today. There's pride that crept up today. There is there were some things that I said, there were thoughts that I had, the way that I treated, whatever those daily things are that daily we need to go to God and not just ask for our daily bread, but forgive us of our sins today. And what Jesus is saying is when you walk with, with harboring unforgiveness, it creates that break in communication and you can't expect God to forgive you of those daily things to restore proper intimacy and communication if you're not willing to extend the same grace and forgiveness outward as well. So it's not about earning salvation. It's not about losing salvation when you walk with unforgiveness. But what you do lose out on is true intimacy with the Father. So what happens if I don't? When we don't forgive, it creates a barrier between us and God. Yeah. You ever been there where it seems like you, you pray and it feels like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling and you're not getting anywhere. You come to church and it seems like everyone else around you is worshiping, but it's just hard for you to engage in worship. And, and you, you go through life and there's those dry seasons and those dry spells. And when I'm there and when I, when I sense that in my life, I have like a daily checklist. Like, like, okay, God, there's something between us. Is it pride? Is it jealousy? 
Is it envy? Is it comparison? Is it unforgiveness? What, what is it? Because there's something that is keeping me from the fullness of your presence. There's something that, that is creating this, this interference in our communication. And God will reveal it to me. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're right. There was that. Take it from me. Give me the grace to walk it out. Give me the strength to let it go. Wash me, cleanse me. Restore right relationship. And he does that. But he only does that when we recognize those things. We offer them to him. We give him access to our lives. And the Holy Spirit can shine a light on those things. What if I don't? If you don't, can you still be saved? Yeah, you can still be saved. If I don't, will I still go to heaven? Yeah, you could probably still go to heaven. But you're going to be miserable between now and then. It's the truth. And if you want to live a miserable life, then sure, walk around holding grudges. Then sure, don't offer forgiveness. Then sure, just have a notepad in your car of all of the people who have wronged you and all the things that they've done and all the debts that you are owed and continue to ask and ask and ask, but they're never going to come paying, so you're just going to continue to live life stuck. And if you choose to live that way, that's for you. But I don't want to live that life. I want to live the abundant life. I want to live a life of joy, and I want to live a life of peace, and I want to, I want to live a life of fullness, and I want to live a life of freedom, and I want to live a life where I'm, I'm running my race, and I'm pressing towards the goal, and I'm running the, the race that God has ordained and designed me for. That's the life that I want to live, but I can't do that if I hold on to unforgiveness. So what do, what do I do? What do I do with this message? Here's what you do. You be a forgiver. Be a forgiver. Be quick to forgive. Be quick to cancel debts. Be, be, be quick to release those things. Don't be one who has, who has a, a, a naughty list in the back of your mind. Well, I'm not going to talk to that person because of what they did. I'm not going to go to Thanksgiving because of what they said. Not until they apologize. Listen, whether they apologize or not, cancel the debt. Stop waiting around for them. You be the first. Lead in humility. Walk in humility and watch what God does. Cancel the debt. When you cancel the debt, it allows you to love that person again. When you love that person, you pray for that person, guess what? God's going to restore some things. He's going to bring some things back. But even if he doesn't, you know you're free. You can move forward in life. Be a forgiver. Colossians chapter 3 tells us this. Make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance. What does that mean? Expect it. That's what it means. Make room for it. Anticipate it. People are going to have faults. People are going to say stupid things. People are going to do stupid things. People are going to hurt you. Intentionally and unintentionally. And here what Paul is saying to the church is to, to expect it and make room for it. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so forgiven people, forgive people. Because God's forgiven you. Now the expectation as those who are being transformed into his image and those that have been called to be ambassadors of his kingdom and representatives of him, reflections of his character, 
You can't reflect God's character if you hold unforgiveness. You can't be an ambassador if you hold unforgiveness. You can't walk fully in the mission that God has for you. If you are not fully submitted, surrendered, and being transformed daily into his image. And when you withhold, in, when you, when you withhold forgiveness, you keep yourself from doing that. So you think we, we struggle with being a forgiver? Because we first haven't received forgiveness. Because you can't offer something that you don't have. And I think sometimes people hurt us and we want to forgive them. We want to be able to forgive them. We want to want to forgive them. But because we haven't either received God's forgiveness, we haven't confessed, we haven't repented, we haven't walked in that forgiveness, or because we haven't forgiven ourselves, it forces us to withhold it from others because we don't even know what it looks like. There are people in my life that I've had to forgive. Luis, you can come up. But do you know who the hardest person for me to forgive is? It's me. Because I, I knew better. I knew it was going to happen. I knew it wasn't right. And I did it anyway. You're such an idiot. What were you thinking? What did you expect to happen? And we, we get older and we remember these things and we... We can get on this seesaw in life. How many of you guys remember playing on seesaws? Those were dangerous. Because if you had two short kids on there, then it was like, how do we get off? And what would happen is one kid would go down and they would just like jump off at the bottom. And then the kid who's at the top, what happens to them? Boom! They're in for a rude away like dangerous. Some of the things that we played on as kids, like, I'm surprised we made it out alive. <laughs> but in our lives as adults, we can, we can get on this seesaw of guilt and blame. And because we have so much guilt over the things that we know we've done, the only way to balance that out and keep us from crashing is to have an equal amount of blame. We can either blame others or we can blame ourselves, but as long as there's an equal amount, there's this balance of guilt and blame and guilt and blame and guilt and blame. And the reason why it's hard for us to forgive is when we cancel that debt, all of the blame goes away and leaves us to crash down with our guilt. What you need to understand is Jesus didn't just just paid to take the blame away, but he paid to take the guilt away as well. That there is a, a totally new balance in his kingdom and it's this balance of grace and love that we can, we can go through life with in that seesaw of guilt and blame and feelings of shame and it's this cycle that goes back and forth in our lives. We can totally do away with that if we would just come confess our sin. Say, Jesus, I know that I've sinned. Repent. That just means to, to have a change of mind that leads to a change in action, just to turn from it and walk a new way. We would confess if we would repent and the Bible says that he would be faithful to forgive us, to wash us, to cleanse us, to make us brand new. Once he does, then we need to forgive ourselves. If Jesus has forgiven you, 
and you haven't forgiven yourself, what you are saying is, Jesus, your blood wasn't strong enough to pay the price. The price you paid wasn't, wasn't good enough. Forgive yourself. If Jesus has forgiven you, who are you to withhold it? And then forgive others. If Jesus has forgiven you, who are you to withhold it from other people? I heard this story and I'm going to close with this. There were two friends who were walking in a desert. As they were walking through the desert, they got into an argument. Not sure what they were arguing about, but they got into an argument as best friends tend to do. Got into this argument and one friend slapped the other friend. Just up and slapped him right across the face. The friend who had gotten slapped, he just looked and he bent down and he wrote in the sand. He said, today, my best friend slapped me in the face. He got up and started walking again. They continue their journey and they're getting thirsty and they come to this oasis in the desert and because they're hot, they're thirsty, they just jump in the water. Well, the friend who had gotten slapped starts to cramp up and he starts to drown. The friend who slapped him jumps in, swims after him, pulls him out of the water. And after he, he recovers, he goes over to this stone and he carves in this stone. Today, my best friend saved my life. Continued their journey. And as they were continuing their journey, the friend who had slapped and the friend who had saved, he looked at his friend and he said, hey, I know we've been through a lot today. So when I, when I hurt you, you wrote it in the sand and just a while ago, you wrote it in the rock. Like, what are you doing? Like, what's, what's going on? And here's what the man says. Here's his response. When someone hurts us, we should write it in the sand where winds of forgiveness can erase it. But when someone does something good for us, we must engrave it in stone where it will never be erased. Here's the, mor here's the moral of the story. We need to learn to write our hurts. No, we need to learn to write our hurts in the sand and to carve our benefits in stone. And if we could live life like this, where we're quick to forget the hurt, quick to forgive, but we always have the reasons why we should be grateful on the front of our mind. If we live our lives like that, then it doesn't matter what people do, what people say, yes, they're gonna hurt me, but guess what? God's done so much more for me than anybody could ever do against me. And I have no reason to withhold anything from anyone when God has been so gracious to me. Here's my challenge to you this week. Here's where the rubber meets the road personally and individually. This week in your prayer time and, and as you're driving to work, as you're getting ready in the morning, as you're spending time with God, whenever that is, I don't know what that looks like for you. I just want you to give God access to your heart and say, God, is there anybody in my life, myself included, that I have withheld forgiveness from? Is there anybody that I'm still shackled to? Is there any pain that I'm still holding on to? Is there any way that I'm trying to move forward in life while looking in the rear view. And as God reveals that to you, the challenge is this, forgive, forgive them. God, is there anybody that I need to forgive? And when God reveals it to you, you need to just do it. Walk in forgiveness, be forgiven people who forgive people. Amen. Stand with me this morning.
Lord, we thank you. We thank you today that forgiveness is available. Lord, for any of us here today that haven't haven't received forgiveness from you, your word is very clear. And if we would confess our sin, that you would be faithful and just to forgive us. That if we would place our faith in you, declare that you are the Lord of our lives, you are who you said you were, that our names would be written into the book of life. So Lord, today we confess we are sinners in need of a savior. Lord, we've tried to do it on our own and we can't. We've failed miserably time and time again. Today, Lord, we choose to pick up our cross, to die to ourselves and to surrender our lives to you, that you would be not just the savior, but the Lord and the master of our lives. Lord, for those of us that are here today struggling with unforgiveness, Lord, I pray that you would help us to to recognize that that because you've forgiven us, that we need to forgive ourselves. Lord, as we walk in forgiveness and experience forgiveness, that we would be quick to extend forgiveness as well. Holy Spirit, we give you access to shine a light on any part of our hearts, any grudges that we're still holding on to, any bitterness or unforgiveness that we, we haven't let go of. Lord, this week, even as in the parable, the king called the debtor in. He said, you're forgiven. I canceled the debt. What you, what you should pay me, what you have to pay me, forget it. It's done. It's over. Lord, that we would cancel those debts that we've been holding on to. Lord, as we walk in forgiveness, thank you for the freedom that comes from it. Thank you for the intimacy with you that comes from it. As we understand what true forgiveness is, as we, as ambassadors and representatives of your kingdom, model it every single day, not seven times and not even 70 times seven as if there is a number to put on it. But God, as often as we need to forgive, to walk in the totality of freedom, help us to forgive. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Love you, church. Have a great week. Here at Dream City Omaha, we're all about three things. Helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, or uncover purpose. We hope that this message helps serve one of those three goals. And we encourage you to check out our past sermon series and online classes, no matter where you are in your walk with God.